0: This is the Business Breakfast with Owanda
1: on Jazz FM.
0: Online trading, currency data, money transfers.
1: Craig Olam joins me. Let's first of all, before we talk about coronavirus and lockdowns and so on, the biggest oil production cuts in history. Now, what actually is going on in the oil? What's actually been achieved?
0: It's a near 10% cut, so that's a record cut of close to 10 million barrels. Prior to this, output was close to 100 million barrels a day. So it is a really severe cut uh, as far as OPEC Plus is concerned. So this is all the usual OPEC nations led by Saudi Arabia, but also Russia and others. This is a major oil production cut, but as you can see by the market reaction, it's not really the knockout blow. The issue that we still have is that, Oil demand is expected to have fallen by at least 15, maybe 20 million barrels a day. So a cut of only 10 million barrels in a market that was already uh, seeing more supply than demand is not exactly enough and it's a little bit underwhelming. So it says it's US backed, but it seems that the US is playing a relatively small part in it. The main part probably being the fact that we've already seen uh, US oil production dip and we are continuously seeing the number of US oil rigs decline uh, and quite severely in the last few weeks. So perhaps this is kind of an inadvertent contribution uh, as far as the US is concerned, especially if further declines are expected. But I think broadly speaking now, the numbers that are going to be key is going to be things like oil storage capacity and things like that. Because really this is after weeks of effort, little bit underwhelming, I must say. But I I get it
1: why it should affect the oil price because if you squeeze supply then the price goes up I understand all that but why was it felt that doing that would also help the markets in general?
0: Because there's two areas you have to find balance with there is the area which is the consumer so you need oil to be cheap enough that people can afford to buy it We've obviously seen oil-induced recessions in the past where the price of oil has spiked to the point that it becomes unaffordable for businesses, for households, and it effectively grinds economies to a halt. But then it also has to, uh, and this is the side that people generally don't have as much sympathy with, but it is important. It has to be cost-effective for the oil producers as well, because if the oil producers are going to continue to uh, dig new wells, if they're going to continue to pump uh, oil, that, the enough oil that we need, uh, then it, 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 at $20 a barrel, that's just not going to happen. They're going to start pumping pumping less oil, which means we're going to have less available into the market, which means the price is naturally going to go up because there's uh, less supply out there. Uh, they have to hmm. continue to sustain the demand uh, of the global economy. But also, they, if they if they are not going to invest, they're not going to hire. So what Trump was worried about in, in an election year was that we're going to see a complete grinding to a halt uh, of the oil industry, which is going to mean thousands and thousands of high-skilled, high-quality, high-paying. Um, employment, uh, and that that that's true around the world in all the major oil produ- producing nations. So you have to find this fine balance between what enables these companies to continue uh, to to pump more oil and to continue to uh, find more oil fields, and also what's good for the consumer.
1: Three more weeks of lockdown in the UK. We were told yesterday, at least, um, we're not through it yet. You can see these conflicting views, can't you? The Treasury, on the one hand, saying we don't want to crash the economy. At the same time, those politicians who are not linked to the Treasury are saying, but hang on a second, we have to take notice of what the world is saying. The world seems to me to be saying a lot of very conflicting things. I heard something, as I'm sure you did, from the World Health Organization saying that a lockdown would continue indefinitely. And yet here we are saying, well, it might be three weeks. Now, we know about these organizations like the World Health Organization and so on. You know, they've got big mnemonics. And, but when they speak, you can't help thinking, you know, do they really understand about this? I mean, they were very slow to call a pandemic. All I'm saying is I'm not taking one side or the other, but it is desperately confusing at the moment, isn't it?
0: Well, the reason why we're moving three weeks at a time is because they don't fully understand this, and I don't think they would ever claim to fully understand this. They've said since the very start that they are effectively in uncharted territory here and that they are trying to make the best assumptions and the best uh, calculated um, moves that they possibly can. But this continues to surprise. Remember, at one point, we didn't believe that this could be passed person per person, uh, say, uh, in the air, etc. Uh, and so that we've, we have learned a lot about this disease now over the course of the last six weeks and we're continuing to learn an awful lot about this disease as well and therefore that's why these kind of moves to say the lockdowns extended by three weeks rather than uh, three months is completely necessary because in three weeks time we'll know a lot more about the disease the the way in which it's travelling the number of people that are being infected and therefore the calculated risk that we'll be taking by starting to ease these lockdown measures what we can see uh, for example even in the US now is we seem to be seeing a slight slowdown in the number of new cases we seem to be seeing a slight slowdown in the number of uh, of coronavirus-related deaths. So that is a positive sign. So you can imagine in three weeks' time, if that trend is continuing, then you can say with some comfort that we are in the lower part of that bell curve. That doesn't mean that we're not going to see some more uh, concerning numbers, but it means that we are on the right trajectory. And then you can start to look at ways to ease the lockdown, whether that is uh, because you've got an antibody test that you can use that gives you with a, rel- 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 a relative degree of comfort, that you can say, we know which people are are uh, lesser a risk to be back in society going back into the office allowing businesses to get moving yeah. again um or you can find some other way in which we can do this because it's about finding the right balance as well because people are obviously getting cabin fever already we've seen plenty uh, uh plenty of that uh, already mm. um uh, and what you don't want to do is continue to push this for longer than it needs to ha- needs to happen the economic damage is quite severe but also then people stop listening
1: OK, um, now, overnight, Goldman Sachs and people tend to take notice. of what Goldman Sachs say. Basically, what they're saying is unless there is another massive increase in uh, the effects of the virus, then Wall Street is over the worst. Um, again, bets are all off, aren't they? But when a company like that says that, and of course, they do have a you know, vested interest in it, etc. What does that say to you?
0: Well, people listen. Obviously, Goldman Sachs, you don't have to work in the financial services industry to know who Goldman Sachs are. They've obviously been right in the past. They've been wrong in the past. So um, you have to take it to an extent with a pinch of salt. We also have to uh, understand that they are highly educated individuals who are working there, who are putting out this advice, um, and therefore they must be saying this for a reason. I think we've long said um, on here that... Uh, what we really need to see, if we are before we start seeing market bounce back, is signs that we are on the right trajectory. Uh, that we are uh, we are turning up the, the the corner in terms of where the bell curve is concerned, and we seem to be seeing that in a lot of countries now. I've been quite sceptical until now that we won't see another another move lower because of the escalation which we were expecting in the U.S., but we haven't really seen that quite to the same severity that. Uh, that that was anticipated. Remember, a couple of two, two, two and a half weeks ago, Donald Trump was saying that they expected a minimum uh, of a hundred thousand deaths in the U.S. Uh, and up to two hundred forty thousand. And yet, right now, where we're standing is uh, around 23 uh, thousand I mean, that is so much lower than what was previously forecast. Dr. Fauci has since said that that could actually be closer to sixty thousand. So that's a that's a that's a, a big shift away from where they are expecting. And I'm sure that could even be lower. Uh, now as well so these things do move and these things do change and it seems that goldmans are saying that they are happy with the trajectory that we are on Uh, and while we could see some very worrying data and we could see many people many companies go out of business now as a result of this and we will see unemployment rise uh, a a lot of this is now priced into the markets and they think the markets uh that the the outlook now is much better than it was a few weeks ago Craig Earlham, thank you very much indeed. The Business Breakfast on Jazz FM with Oanda. Online trading, currency data, money transfers.